If you have your Bibles, grab them and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Probably not a lot of you spend uh, an excessive amount of time in the book of Ecclesiastes. So it's one of my great joys as a pastor to, to bring you to some of these passages that are not as familiar. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And uh, if you need a Bible, just stick up your hand. Uh, Dan or one of the ushers can grab one for you and bring it to you. Um, but Ecclesiastes 9, chapter one, or verses 1 through 10. Now, as you're turning in your book, you might get to the, the top of the chapter and see a, a title or a heading, like, Death Comes to Us All. Right? And like, wait a minute. What's this guy? What's this guy preaching? Not a very fatherly message. But I think despite the fact that the opening is on the fact that we're all going to die. My hope is that this morning I can remind each and every one of you how important it is to live. To not miss out on the life that you've been given. To spend it wisely. To use up every breath that God has given you. I recently read this book uh, by an author named N.D. Wilson. Uh, it's called Death by Living. And... My wife will attest, I, I, I rarely come across a book where I'll say, like, you have to read this. But she still hasn't read it yet. But I put it on the, on the table by, by her bed, and I'm like, this is really one of the most, for me, one of the most encouraging, thought-provoking, and just uh, awe-inspiring books I've read in a long, long time. Uh, highly recommend it. No, don't normally do that from up here, but uh, Death by Living. I'm going to quote this book several times during the morning, and you'll, you'll notice because his words are a lot more poetic and beautiful than mine are, so you'll know when I kind of shift gears. But he says this, he says, lay down your life. Your heartbeats cannot be hoarded. Your reservoir of breaths are draining away. You have hands, blister them while you can. You have bones, make them strain. They can carry nothing to the grave. You have lungs, let them spill with laughter. With an average life expectancy of 78.2 years in the U.S., subtracting eight hours a day for sleep, I have about 250,000 conscious remaining hours in me to which I could be smiling or scowling, rejoicing in my life, in this race, in this story, or moaning and complaining about my troubles. I can be giving my fingers, my back, my mind, my words, my breaths to my wife and my children and my neighbors. Or I can grasp after the vapor and the vanity from myself, dragging my feet, afraid to die, and therefore afraid to live. And like Adam, I will still die in the end. This quote sums up the spirit behind the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. God doesn't want us to lazily trudge through life, bemoaning all that he has granted us but rather he wants us to find joy in our living, to live with all our might, to spend every breath that he has given us. Let's look at verses 1 through 10 together. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. 
It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, and that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Now, if I stopped reading right here, we might leave today feeling a little discouraged. Like we're all going to perish, right? God promises that you have life, but that some point, each and every one of us will die. But thankfully, King Solomon continues on. And because of the fact that we are all going to die, he tells us this. Go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Now, in the opening chapters of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has been reminding us of the vanity of life. Um, He's looking at all that he's accomplished, and he says, Vanity, oh vanity, all is vanity. Everything under the sun is vanity, a striving after the wind. Your work, your seeking after wisdom, your desire for pleasure, your toil. All of these things are pointless, a chasing after the wind. So there you have it, fathers. Happy Father's Day. All that you do is pointless. Pretty much everything you've ever done is completely and utterly meaningless. Amen. (laughs) But it's interesting that sometimes as believers, this is the way we approach life. And I don't think Solomon is being sarcastic here in these passages. I think he is building up to a point to where he gets to chapter 9 and he says, everything isn't completely pointless. But anything without God at the center... Anything pursued without love and joy and gratitude isn't worth pursuing. It's not the pursuit that's vanity. It's the way in which we pursue life that is vanity. Everyone can attest that life is difficult at times, sometimes even painful. But for all our difficulty and despair, There are also so many things that can give us great joy. Life is both bitter and sweet, and if we fail to perceive both of these tastes, we fail to experience the beauty of life as God intended. 
According to Martin Luther, on this passage, he says, Solomon is not urging a life of pleasure and luxury characteristic of those who do not sense this vanity. For that would be putting oil on fire. But he is speaking of godly men who sense the vexation and troubles of the world. It is their downcast hearts that he wants to encourage. That's my hope for us this morning. That in light of the vanity, despite our chasing after the wind, we should be filled with joy and should enjoy the life that God has given us. Why should we enjoy eating and drinking and working? Solomon says in chapter 2, it's because these activities come from the hand of God. And in chapter 3, he says that these activities are a gift of God to man. And in chapter 5, he tells us that God keeps us occupied with joy in our hearts. Now, Solomon might have been frustrated with the vanity of life in this fallen world. And I think oftentimes we look around and we get frustrated at how sinful and how wicked are we and the world around us. And we get frustrated. Why, why can't it just be different? But what Solomon knew in his advanced age was that despite all of that, that every good and perfect gift comes directly from the hand of God. We see this most clearly in our passage this morning in chapter 9, where Solomon tells us to enjoy bread and wine because God has already approved what you do. Now, this isn't a blanket endorsement that God approves everything people do, as if God would somehow ever approve our sin. But what Solomon is saying is that life's enjoyments are not guilty pleasures. We don't have to feel bad because we're enjoying the things that God gives us. Life's enjoyments are godly pleasures. A merry heart, a heart full of joy, has God's approval. It is part of his gracious will for our lives and one of the most precious gifts he's given us. Andy Wilson said it this way. He said, drink your wine, laugh from your gut, burden your moments with thankfulness. Be as empty as you can be when that clock winds down. Spend your life, and if time is a river, may you leave awake. When Solomon tells us that life is vain, he uses the same word for vanity that he's used throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. If you go, go back through the chapters, you'll see this word vanity over and over and over again. And sometimes we look at that and we say, oh, he's, he's telling us that life is meaningless. But it's not true. What he's actually telling us is that life is short. We are a breath of vapor. We are a blink in time. Our earthly existence passes quickly like smoke blown away by the wind. So we should be filled with life and love and joy while we still have the time. Solomon begins his encouragement to us with the basic pleasures of eating and drinking. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, he says in verse 7. The word go conveys a sense of urgency. Do it now. But it's not the eating and drinking that Solomon's really concerned about. It's the joy expressed in those moments together that he wants us to, to savor. 
as we share fellowship with one another, with our families, with our friends. We taste the good food and the good drinks that the Lord has given to us. We are reminded to receive those pleasures with God-centered joy in our hearts. The celebration continues in verse 8. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Now, white garments were the, the dress-up clothes of the ancient Near East, right? Put on your tuxedo. Put on your best evening gown. Put on your finest white robe. These people of this time would, would, would put on their finest clothes for many, many different occasions. Uh, soldiers would put them on when they, when they came into victory, to, back into the town. Slaves would put on white when they, when they gained their freedom that day as, a, as, a, as an act of celebration. The priests on the high holy days of Israel would wear only white. Solomon is telling us, get ready to celebrate. Right? This life isn't meant to be drudged through. It's meant to be enjoyed. There's a reason we've only been given one life. Right? Because he wants us to have our fill, to enjoy what he's given here. He also tells us to uh, anoint our heads with oil. Take a shower. Put on some nice perfume, some cologne. Smell nice, right? It's all about getting dressed up and going out. Uh, anybody not like to do that? I don't know about you, but like somebody, some people, I don't really like to dress up, but I do like to go out and and celebrate, go out to dinner and smell nice, you know. We need to grasp the moments that God has given us so that we don't get to the end of our life and say, where did it go? In verse 9, he also invites us to enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Now, this is my, my chance to remind all you husbands out there about the gifts God has given you in your wife. Husbands are told to enjoy their wives. That means spending time with her as a friend. In all the busy demands of life, are you setting aside time to do things together that you both enjoy? Now, this doesn't mean like going hunting or bowling or golf, like things that you enjoy together. It means prizing your wife as a lover. Do you speak with her in terms of affection? Do you take time to get away? Just the two of you to enjoy the company of each other. Enjoying your wife also means valuing her as a person. Do you listen carefully to what she says without immediately pointing out where she's wrong or trying to solve problems that she's not even asked you to solve until she's been understood? The wives are like, uh-huh, uh-huh. These are only a few of the many ways that husbands are called to enjoy their wives. At some point, uh, we already heard it, but some husbands and, and probably most of the wives might be tempted to complain that their spouses aren't that easy to enjoy. Right? The, the romance of marriage is long gone, and sometimes even, even it's difficult to kindle a friendship and if that's the case, then we need to look at how Solomon words this command. 
It's not just enjoy your wife. He says, enjoy the wife whom you love. The love and the enjoyment go together. The entire book of Song of Songs is about that. If you're struggling to find enjoyment in your marriage, sit down as a couple and read the Song of Songs together and see the fact that God's love for, and, and, and the love you have for one another is, is found in your enjoyment of one another. Husbands, be intentional about enjoying your wife and spending time with her and making time to have fun together. Right. Now, the last pleasure that Solomon mentions is work, which some of us probably don't think is very pleasurable. But he says this is part of our portion in life. He says, enjoy your toil at which you toil under the sun in verse 9. Now, the phrase under the sun does not refer to back-breaking labor in the heat of the day, but it refers to whatever God has called you to do. Whether you labor in education, construction, medicine, ministry, or the high calling of raising a family, God has given each and every one of us a good work to do. Did you ever stop and think that your work is a gift from God? which you should enjoy as long as you are able. He continues in verse 10 to reinforce what he says about work by including a command. He says, whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. The point is not that we should work randomly or just kind of do whatever we please. We should only do what God has put before us to be satisfied in the work that he has given and shouldn't be striving after the things that God has placed out of our reach. And if only I had that job, then I would be satisfied. Be satisfied in the job you're at now. Because God has given you that work, and it's from Him. It is a gift. In his sermon on this verse, Charles Spurgeon described a young man who dreamed of standing under a banyan tree and preaching eloquent sermons to the people in India. My dear fellow, said Spurgeon, why don't you try preaching on the streets of London first and see whether you are eloquent there? Every single one of us should do whatever work God has given us to do. And Solomon is telling us how we are to do this work with all of our might. We should work hard with all of our strength. Yet how easy is it for us to waste away the hours, not focusing on the things that God wants us to do, but idling away our time with lots of little distractions. Are you giving 100% of your working time, or are you giving him somewhat less than your very best? We all have bosses. But when we work, God says to work as unto the Lord. He is the one that we are seeking to please in our work. The Puritan William Perkins, he said this. He said, we must take heed of two damnable sins. The first is idleness, whereby the duties of our callings are neglected or omitted. The second is slothfulness, whereby the deeds we are performing 
are performed slackly and carelessly. Do whatever God called you to do and do it with all your strength. Sometimes we might incorrectly think that what we are called to do isn't important or valuable. But each and every one of us is vastly important to God. Andy Wilson said this. He said, you have the creator God's full attention. As much attention as he ever gave Napoleon or Churchill or even Moses. Or billions of others who have lived and died unknown. Or a grain of sand. Or one spike on one snowflake. You are spoken. You are seen it is your turn to participate in creation. Like a kindergartner shoved out from behind the curtain during his first play, you might not know what scene you are in or what comes next. But God is far less patronizing than we are. You are his art, and he has no trouble stooping. You can even ask him for your lines. Eugene Peterson captures the spirit of this passage here in Ecclesiastes in, in the message. He translates it this way. He says, seize life, eat bread with gusto, drink wine with a robust heart. Oh yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Dress festively each morning. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. Relish life with the spouse you love each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. It is all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it. This is a beautiful and bountiful world, and we were designed by God to enjoy its pleasures. So make the most of every single day. I made a commitment recently just to, to try and step back from my life. I, this, this, this sermon that I'm preaching doesn't come naturally to me. <laughs> my natural um, tendency is to just kind of grumble and complain and move through life like, well, you know. But I want to step back and see the joy in life, in the little things, in the things that I, I think are insignificant. And to recognize that those things are all given by God. God is moving and speaking and investing in every single life and moment on this earth. That, that is a profound thought if you stop and think about that. This week I've tasted some of the many joys of life, playing catch with my sons. A cool breeze on a hot day. An evening spent enjoying good friends. Laying on my pillow while talking with my wife late into the night. Watching the squirrels dance and play outside my office window. A song or a melody that gives me a glimpse into the heart of God. Or the the look I get from my boys when I come home from work. They run down the driveway. To have these joys is to know my Father's grace. 
N.D. Wilson said this. He said, God is a God of galaxies, of storms, of roaring seas, and boiling thunder. But he is also the God of baking bread, of a child's smile, of dust motes in the sun. He is who he is and always shall be. Look around you now. He is speaking always and everywhere. His personality can be seen and leaned upon. The sun is belching flares while mountains scrape our sky, while ants are milking aphids on their colonial leaves and dolphins are laughing in the surf, and wheat is rippling and wind is whipping, and a boy is looking into the eyes of a girl and mortals are dying. God is all around us. And if we step back and look at what he is doing, we will see the joy and the beauty that he has created for us. Now, we do need to be careful as Christ followers not to put our pursuit of pleasure before Christ. We may get so distracted by earthly pleasures that we lose our passion for God. How tempting it is for us as the creation to worship the gift and forget the giver. Some people live for food. They make a God out of their bellies, as Philippians 3.19 says, and thus they are guilty of gluttony, which has little or nothing to do with how much you weigh, but everything to do with your attitude towards food. Some people are addicted to wine or strong drink. They are guilty of drunkenness and dissipation in Luke 21.34. Others struggle with relationships. Maybe it's a romance that they have, which is turned inward rather than outward. Or maybe it's the relationship they don't have, which has become one of the main frustrations of their life. Then there are people who struggle with their work, or perhaps for the money that their work produces. The pleasures that people pursue are usually good in and of themselves. The danger comes when they take the place of God. Tim Keller says this, he said, sin is not just doing bad things, but the making of good things into the ultimate thing. It is seeking to establish a sense of self by making something else more central to your significance, purpose, and happiness than your relationship to God. The list of good things that can get in the way of God is endless. For some of us, it might be new clothes or video games. For others, it may be work or music, sports, academics, hobbies, trips that take up your entire weekend and ignore your family. The world is full of good and beautiful things that bring pleasure to life, but we're never intended to satisfy the soul. When we pursue these things apart from a relationship with God, we end up losing the joy that they can bring to life. You might ask yourself, why am I never satisfied? Why do I not have the joy that I think I should have? It's because your relationship with your creator has taken a back seat to your pursuit of these kinds of things. These reminders serve to, to remind us of the goodness of the life God has given you. 
You and I need to spend our lives using up every last breath and praising God for his goodness to us all the while. Enjoy your life, church family. Enjoy your family. Enjoy one another. Look at the things that God has given to you and be thankful. It's amazing what gratitude can do to an attitude that, that doesn't have joy. You step back and say, you know what, Lord, I'm thankful for all of this. And you recognize what he has given. Joy overflows. How can it not? I'm going to end with this quote from N.D. Wilson. Your life will contribute to a grand and wonderful story no matter what you do. You have been spoken. You are here existing, choosing, living, shaping the future, and carving the past. Your physical matter and your soul exist, not out of necessity, not voluntarily, and not under their own strength. There is absolutely nothing that you or I can do to guarantee that we will continue to exist. You aren't doing anything that makes you be. You are not the author. You and I are spoken. We have been called into this art as characters, born into this thread of occurrence, tumbling downstream in the long Niagara of loss, set in motion by the trouble that faced our first father and first mother. We will contribute to this narrative. The question is, how? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, you are the creator, the author, the giver of life. Lord, and we acknowledge this morning that every good and perfect gift comes from you. May we relish the life that you've given, finding joy in the small things, being thankful for the hard times and the good, all the while giving you the glory and praise that you deserve. Lord, this life would be vanity without you at the center. We thank you that we can pursue the good gifts that you've given us because we have a relationship with you. Lord, I ask that if any, any hearts here have put the creation before the creator, that we would cast off that idol worship and that we would run back to you, finding our joy and our hope and our strength in who you are and not what you've given. Lord, we thank you for the gift of fathers, just another joy, a glimpse into your heart of how much you love us. We praise you, Lord, for the goodness of this life. May we spend every breath glorifying you and enjoying what you've given. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.